Hey fellas, good for us to be reminded of God's faithfulness to the end and his power over us. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 18, that's where we're going to be hanging out as we return to our series on, on Exodus, and uh, this is a, a really curious part of scripture that we're looking at in chapter 18, and, and, and it's... Uh, and it's interesting that it's a curious part of scripture, not because it's got, it gets very murdery or there's some sort of plague or, or divine intervention. That would be uh, relatively on par for the course. But, but what happens in, in chapter 18 is really a conversation about organization. And, and that's interesting because that's not something that the Bible talks about a ton. It just doesn't seem to be interested in talking about uh, uh, um, leadership principles or organizational principles, despite the fact that there is a, a large industry of books and conferences based on how church people ought to organize themselves and, 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 and people using the Bible to justify their, uh, their own leadership principles. One of my favorites is, uh, is uh, if you go to Amazon, this is a real book that exists. It was written by a human being. Uh, it says, Jesus, the ultimate samurai. Principles for leadership and life and business. That is the appropriate re reaction. Like I, I, I understand some of you might think that that's rude, but that is a person that ought to be laughed at because he seems to understand neither Jesus nor samurais. Um, but the Bible really isn't that prescriptive about how to organize things. It just isn't. As much as we would like to impose that on it, that's not the main story that the Bible is trying to tell. Like, trying to go to the Bible and say, I'm going to go to the Bible primarily for, for organizational and leadership principles is kind of like going to Harry Potter looking for it to give you environmental, environmental management principles. There's some there, but that's not primarily the story that they're trying to tell. And... So there's a couple of questions that I ask when I come across a story that doesn't seem to fit in line with the rest of Scripture, when I see something that, 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 that seems to be out of place. And, and the questions that I ask, so the questions arising from a story which seems out of place. So the first question that I ask is, what is around this story? What happened immediately before and what happened immediately after? And then the second question I ask is, is this story repeated? Is this a story that either... Is, is exactly repeated in another place, or is this a story that thematically is repeated in another place? And, and does this story, are there echoes in this story that take place in the rest of the story of Scripture? So, uh, we can walk through these, some of these uh, questions uh, pretty quickly together. So, what's around this story? And, and, and the story in 18 is the story of, of, of Moses and Jethro talking about organizational leadership. So, right beforehand, they had the Israelites defeating the Amalekites in their first battle together as a people after leaving slavery in Egypt. So, so that's the first part. Uh, and then immediately after, they arrive at Mount Sinai. So, that's important context, but it doesn't really give us that much of a hint into what uh, God is trying to tell us through this story. And, and then the second question, is this story repeated? And not really. We don't really have an equivalent story of, of an outsider, someone coming in from outside of the movement, coming into the movement and saying like, hey, maybe I can give you some advice on, on how to do things differently. But I will say that, and I do believe, that this story has echoes in the larger story of Scripture. 
So we're going to focus on that, that, that yes, this does have echoes in the larger story of Scripture, and we're going to, we're going to see how those uh, unfold. So, so, we're going to, so we're picking up in Exodus chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. Now, Jethro, a priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, now the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now this is interesting. For those of you that have forgotten, uh, Moses uh, lived in Egypt until he was 40. At 40, he ran from Egypt after murdering someone and then lived in a foreign land. There he met uh, a woman named Sephora, and Jethro was her father. He married uh, Sephora. They had children together. Jethro is his father-in-law. So Moses left the, that land, where the, the foreign land where he was living, and came back to Egypt to get his people. And now he's back, now he's back in that foreign land, and he's met by Jethro, his father-in-law. And it's interesting because we get this perspective from outside of the people of Israel. And, and the story that we've been hearing about the people of Israel and Moses is so amazing that it's really hard for us at this point in the story to fathom that there's someone else who isn't a part of it. So interesting because we have this experience as well that we're in the middle of, when we're in the middle of something that's happening to us, we automatically assume and feel as if that we're the star of a movie that everyone on the planet is watching. And we're the star of the show, so how could someone come in from the outside that wasn't intimately aware of all of the details? And yet, that is what we, were, we are seeing. And it reminds us again that God is, is responsible and working a much bigger picture than what is directly happening in front of us and in front of our faces. Jethro just heard about this, but he's heard about, the, about what God has done for the people of Israel, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. And after Moses had sent away his wife, Zipporah, his father-in-law Jephthah received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, my father's God was my helper, he saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. So Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the, in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. And it's important for us just to, so we can remember this properly. Moses is a man in his 80s, right? He's early 80s at this point in time. His wife is is probably of advanced age as well, and his sons are probably in the 30s with their own wives and children at this point in time, right? Just given the math on how these things go. So it's coming to you. So Jethro is a, a, is a man of advanced age as well. And, uh, and uh, I'm sorry, uh, but there's something that just, I love this sentence right here. Um, because anyone who has ever received a message from an older relative who feels the need to tell you their relationship to you every time that they introduce themselves. So I used to get messages from my mother, uh, like voicemail messages. She's not in the room right now, but she would be like, hi, this is Elizabeth, your mother. Um, I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and I just love it. It's just like, hey, Jethro, your father-in-law, remember me? Uh, so I just appreciate that. Thank you, Jethro, and thank you, uh, Lord, for that detail uh, that reminds us that some things never change over multiple thousand years of human history. Okay, so Jethro is coming with the, the sons-in-law. Now, 
Jethro was delighted to hear. So Moses receives him, tells him about what happened. Moses was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel and rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. And he said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians and Pharaoh, who rescued the people from the hands of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods, for he did this to those who treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to meet a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of the Lord. Now there's some really interesting and fascinating stuff happening here that, that seems like it's glossed over detail, like this is okay, well, what is happening here? But this is extremely important when we're talking about having echoes in the larger story. Because one of the things that the people of Israel constantly argue about, even into the New Testament, is what is our relationship with people who are not part of our group? That is one of the biggest things that they argue about from this moment all the way through to the New Testament and all the way even to today where religious people and even those of us who are Christians still have this debate amongst ourselves. What is our relationship to people who are not part of our group? And something really interesting, and this is fascinating because in Galatians we hear about an argument, oh, so, sorry, so we talk about, about how Israel uh, is supposed to relate to other people. So does this have echoes in the larger story? This has echoes in the larger story because Jethro exists outside of the ordained people of God that were received from Egypt, and yet he's included. And he hears their story and says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all of the other gods, which is the way that it was planned from the beginning. Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abraham, I will bless you. All nations will be blessed through you, right? So this thing has always been bigger than the people of Israel. And now we see that made manifest in the fact that Moses, even as the liberator of Israel, still maintains his relationship with his wife, who is not of his ethnicity. So he's in a mixed ethnicity marriage and has mixed ethnicity children, and they are part of his family. They are grafted back in. There's no thought or expectation in the world that Moses, now that he's the leader of Israel, would reject his, uh, his wife of a different ethnicity, right? doesn't do that at all, nor that he would reject his children. That's not, that doesn't exist at all. The expectation is that they're all grafted into the same family. So when I hear in the news last week that a Christian in the southern United States who said, as a Christian, I don't believe that people of mixed ethnicities should, of different ethnicities should be dating or marrying. This is a thing that was said this week by a person who claimed to be a Christian in the United States. He didn't read this story. He didn't pay attention, right? Because this has echoes in the larger story that God declares through Moses that all ethnicities are being grafted into God's people, right? Mo Moses and Zephora remain together. The inclusion of all peoples in the blessing of the Lord, which has been maintained from the very beginning. It's always been about all people. But we see how this becomes a debate even in the early church. When we switch to the New Testament, Paul and Peter have this argument. So Paul has been working in Antioch with, with Gentile people, people who are not people of Israel. They don't follow Torah. They didn't grow up in it necessarily. 
So, but they're beginning to come and trust in God and in Jesus. You know? And then Peter comes. So Peter comes to Antioch and I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. This is interesting. He opposed him to his face. We, in Christian circles, do not like opposing each other to his face, to each other's face. We do not like getting into each other's faces even when we're doing something wrong. And often, in, in our contemporary church circles, everyone would have been mad at Paul, right? Even though he was doing the right thing, everyone would have been mad at Paul because how dare you interrupt our little circle where we were just all willing to ignore each other's sin. So, he had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. And as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. We're starting to have this argument about should we eat with people who are not circumcised? And people are coming from Jerusalem saying, no, you should not eat with people who are not circumcised. It's having this battle with people in the, amongst people who are following Jesus. It shouldn't have been a battle because Moses ate with people who weren't circumcised. Moses ate with his father-in-law who was not circumcised. And we see quite clearly that all the elders of Israel came to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. So should Peter and Barnabas and all of these people have been having any discussion at all about whether or not it's okay to eat with people who are uncircumcised? M Moses did. We see how this has echoes for us, that this is important for us to grasp. Moses married a Gentile woman and shared meals with his Gentile father-in-law. And he did this while leading the people of Israel. And this is good enough for, for Moses. It's good enough for Jethro. And there's this, we see what has happened here in, in the book of Galatians. And it's something that happens with us where we try and be more religious than the Bible. And the Bible does have some, some guidelines set out for us. But we're saying, well, we're going to take that and we're going to go even further because that's going to maintain our purity. And we start to set up boundaries and fences where we ought not to have. Because we are cherry-picking people who like to pick out a passage that is convenient for us because it supports our lives. And we like to ignore passages that force us to change. And the reality is that's not what we've been called to do. We are people who love to build fences and make boundaries around our faith and say we're on the inside and you're on the outside and everybody on the inside is good and you're not. And that is not what we've been called to do from the beginning as followers of Jesus. There are echoes in the story that we ought to pay attention to. All peoples are being included. So and, the, and so the story continues. Now we're getting into leadership and organization. So the next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. And when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge? Well, all these people stand around for me from morning till evening. And Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. And whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Now, this is really interesting, because what we're given here is a set of outside eyes. 
Moses doesn't think that there's anything wrong with this arrangement, and none of the people of Israel think that there's anything wrong with this arrangement. But a pair of outside eyes comes in and starts asking questions that no one else had asked. And I think this is important for us, and this is, this is, this is coming from Dan, not from the Lord, but we have a tendency to ignore everyone who doesn't have exactly our set of experiences. Unless you know everything about us that you can't possibly have something to say to us. And that's simply not true. Outside perspectives can sometimes bring a little bit of clarity for us uh, and point out to us uh, things that we do not see. And that's what happens with Jethro here. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen to, now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. But teach them his decrees and instructions. Show them the way they are to live and how to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest game, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. Let them serve as judges for people at all times, but let them bring each difficult case to you the simple cases they can decide for themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. And if you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Now, this sounds like just an organizational principle and there is some really smart organizational principles here. But lying underneath that is something really Fascinating about what Jethro and what God in telling us this story are saying about the nature of the faith that we hold as followers of Jesus. And that's the answer to this, sim this simple question. Are we, is, is the kind of faith that we have the faith where God speaks to all of us or where God speaks to some of us? Because most of the religions in the, in the ancient world at the time, God spoke to some of them. And there was a priest that you would go to and he would tell you what to do and, you would, and they would guess at what their gods wanted and you would maybe sacrifice an animal and you would maybe sacrifice another animal and then you would sacrifice a larger animal and then maybe you would sacrifice your child. But God spoke to some of them. It's fascinating what Jethro is saying right here that no, 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 God doesn't, doesn't just speak to you, Moses. God speaks to all of you. Now you have a, a special anointing to go before the Lord for the people. That's a good thing. But God is teaching his decrees to everybody. So they don't need to come to you as the arbitrator of everything that is good and right and right, just. Maybe if it gets to that, that's it. But people should be able to sort these things out for themselves. And I think that that is something that has always distinguished the kind of faith that we have, the true versions of Christianity from the fake versions of Christianity. Because there are many religions and there are many cults and there are many things uh, and there are many organizations and movements that, that basically declare that God is speaking to one person and not to you. And the way for you to connect with God is to connect through one person. And there is a cottage industry of, of documentaries about these uh, movements, which are all fascinating. But the reality is that's not our faith. You don't come to me to get to God. God wants to get to you. 
And I can help you. I can point you in a direction. I can maybe give you something to read. I can tell you how God has worked in my life. I can, I can share you what, with, with you what I've, what I've seen and experienced. But God is desperately trying to com communicate with you. God is not desperately trying to, to go through me to communicate to you. That's helpful. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate this job where I get to share God's word with you. But God wants to speak to you through his word. God wants to speak to you through the Holy Spirit. It's all, God, God doesn't just speak to some of us. God is always speaking to all of us. And this is, becomes very, very clear in Acts chapter 2. That on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. This is after Jesus has, been ascended, has ascended into heaven. There's 120 believers gathered together in a room and they're praying. And suddenly a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Not just some of them, not just on the disciples, not just on Peter, not just on John, not just on this select group of people, not just on me, settled on all of them. So this has always been a faith where all of you are included and where God is speaking to all of us. I don't have a special set of keys to come to the Lord to gain wisdom for you. I can help you. Don't get me wrong. And I appreciate that. But God is trying and wants to speak to you. And it's important for us to remember as a church that all of us are, 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 have been given, all of us who follow Jesus have been given the Holy Spirit and the wisdom that comes from, from that. And that's why when the world at large, when governments and organizations, when they want to feel safe, they get a smaller circle. That tends to be what governments do, that tends to be what, what companies do, that tends to be what corporations do. Whenever, whenever they want to feel safe, they make the circle smaller, they tighten it up. They share secrets among just a couple of people. And that's how we're going to be safe, because we're, we're only going to share the needed information with this small group of people. And that is antithetical to what we have been taught as followers of Jesus. If we genuinely believe that the Holy Spirit is on all of us, then the safety for us isn't in closing the circle tighter, but making the circle wider. Safety for us is in transparency. Safety for us is in sharing and multiple people being included. And the ingredients for what we need to go forward as followers of Jesus aren't just contained in one person, but they're contained in all of us. And the DNA of, of, of who we are is not just implanted in me or in one other person or in one of the elders. It's in all of us. I once uh, heard, uh, and, and this is a, it, 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 this feels like a cheese ball leadership illustration because it is a cheese ball leadership illustration, but there's something incredibly true to it. So there's a, a great, a, a, it's not a good book. If you can get a, <laughs> it's a leadership book that's a book, it's probably about 60,000 words, but if you could get someone to condense it down to about four minutes for you, you've gotten all the information you need. But it's called the, the Starfish and the Spider. And really, I'm about to tell you all you need to know about this book. And, uh, and <laughs> no, it's true. Um, but basically the difference is this. Um, if you cut a spider 
into 18 different pieces, what do you get? You cut into 18 pieces. Yes. Now, what happens if you got a starfish into 18 pieces? You get 18 separate starfish. What kind of organization has Jesus built in us? We have a tendency to think that it spires, and if we don't have these ingredients, or if the whole thing gets broken up, then nothing's ever going to work and we just get various dead parts. That's simply not true at all. If Moses is removed from the situation, if someone else is removed from the situation, if I'm removed from, this, from the situation, then all we're left with is this, these dead parts. That's not what happens at all. God has implanted the DNA of what he is building and the kingdom that he is making in this world in all of us. So if this thing gets smashed into a hundred different pieces, every one of us has the ability in us to, be, to grow into God's church. God isn't in, and has never been in the process of, of, of making an organization of spiders. God is, has been and has always been from the beginning making starfish. That each of us have been called to this and God speaks to all of us. So the wisdom of all of us is what's going to carry us forward. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything that he said. He chose capable men from all over Israel and made them the leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they served as judges for the peoples at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. And then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. God has always been speaking to all of us. And in this short little story where Jethro shows up and doesn't really appear anywhere else, I think it's important for us to grasp how important this little outside story is. That what we are to hold on to coming out of this, of, of, of this encounter with Jethro is that, is that God is building a kingdom that includes all people. We don't have to build boundaries that keep other people out, that it's always been about all people, all ethnic groups, everyone on the earth. It's always been about that from the very beginning. And secondarily, not just is it about all people, but it's about all of us being involved, that all of us have been invited and equipped and, and, and called to participate in this kingdom that he's building that includes all people. And the reality of this is, I believe, pointed to in the ritual that we undertake at this table. That at this table, God says, you take eat. Not me take eat on your behalf, and anyone, no offense, anyone who does that is completely misinterpreting and misapplying the way that God handed his, this ritual down to his people. I'm sorry, it's just, it's just wrong. I, we do not take and eat on each other's behalf. We do not drink on each other's behalf. God is inviting you to his table. Not you through me, you. So this is the invitation that you've been given. Are you willing to acknowledge that you've been invited to the table? Regardless of whether or not you thought you were on the outside because of your ethnicity, or your actions, or anything else that you have done, you are invited to the table. 
And you are invited to the table and equipped for God's work. Not, not you coming through someone else or you coming through the will of another person or you being represented by someone else. You have been invited to the table because God has something for you to do. So I would ask and invite you as we come forward to take some time in silent prayer to just ask God, what does this mean that I'm invited to your table? What is this thing that you're inviting me to do? How do I fit in with this starfish that you're building? And let's 